everybody. Didn't they do great? I want you to know they work very, very hard at that, so let them know you appreciate them. Amen. Oh, that's fun. That was my dad's favorite Christmas carol. And he always wanted to sing that at Christmas time. He couldn't sing, but he could make a joyful noise. And um, so it's always a thrill to uh, sing that song. And we appreciate it. You know, they get up at early in the morning to get up here and practice. And I so appreciate all they put into it. How many of you love the Word of God today? Amen. Isn't it a good time of year? You know, the weather forecasters, they come on and they say, in two days, it's going to go from 80 to 32. And you know what? We believe them. Now, we can't see what they see. We don't know what they're looking at. We don't have the instrumentation they do. But we trust that they know what's coming. Well, do you know, the prophets of God were even more accurate, and this isn't saying much, than the weather forecasters. They never missed at all. And we're going to look today at their forecast of where Jesus would be born. And they were 100% accurate. So let's read as we continue this Christmas series. We're going to talk about the journey today. And we're looking at Luke chapter 2, the first seven verses. Powerful stuff. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius, I'm glad I only have to say that once a year, Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everybody to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called what, everybody? That's the city of David, Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, which was a feeding trough. Hardly a place for a king to be born, but that's where Jesus was born. And why was he born there? Because there was no room for them in the inn. I'm talking about that one next week. Jesus suffers the same fate today. So many have no room for him, but that's next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. And I pray that this journey that Joseph and Mary took from Galilee to Bethlehem, would speak to us today that you would make personal application of it to our own spiritual walk, our own spiritual life with God. And thank you, Lord, for carrying us onward, forward, and upward always in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want you to practice up and turn to somebody. And don't you dare say happy holidays. Tell them Merry Christmas. Amen. <laughs> I've kind of gotten a, a reaction going inside of me that when somebody at a store, at the mall or whatever says happy holidays, I say, Merry Christmas to you too. 
and they get this look on their face. A lot of them know exactly what I'm doing. All right. Joseph and Mary's journey from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into the city of David, which we saw was Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, was a fulfillment of a prophetic forecast, a prophetic prophecy given by Micah in chapter 5, verse 2. I want you to listen to Micah's words, written centuries before Jesus Christ appeared. Micah says, But you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, you're insignificant. Yet, out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth, now watch this carefully, are from of old, from everlasting. Now those are powerful words. Because Micah is saying that an eternal personality was going to invade the earth via Bethlehem. We know that he's talking about somebody eternal, and there's only one eternal, and that's God. Because he says your activities, your goings forth, have been from everlasting. Now there's only one. God says, I am the God from everlasting to everlasting, I am God. And so somehow, some way, here's Micah prophesying of the coming Messiah. And he says, here's where he's going to be born. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. You can mark it down. I'm making the forecast. This is what it's going to do. This is where he's going to appear. It's going to be Bethlehem. Now, when I say the word prophecy, here's what some of you think. Nostradamus. You think, oh yeah, Nostradamus, because he's on all the PBS shows. Let me tell you something. Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and Daniel, and the rest of the prophets of the Bible put Nostradamus in the shade. Because Nostradamus is hits and misses, and he's not a prophet of God. Hate to break it to you, you PBS watchers. But he's not. Why fool with Nostradamus when we have real prophets in the Word of God who never missed, whose accuracy was 100% on target? So a prophecy is God speaking through. Literally, God speaks through the mouth of a prophet to describe a coming event long before it happens, centuries before it happens. And did you know that there's over 400 prophecies in the Old Testament which point to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? 400. And Jesus Christ perfectly fulfilled every single one of them. Their forecast was exactly on target. How do you do that? There's only one way you can do that. God Almighty, who sees the end from the beginning, is speaking through you. Because God says, I am the one who sees the end from the beginning, who knows the end from the beginning. I know how something is going to end before the beginning even begins. That's God. And so what are some of the things that the prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Micah, and others prophesied about Jesus? Well, here's just a sampling that he would be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7, 14. We saw that last time. Born in Bethlehem, we just read that, Micah 5, 2. The Bible predicted that he'd be preceded by a forerunner, and we know that was John the Baptist. The prophets predicted that Jesus would enter Jerusalem on a donkey, and that's exactly what he did. Zechariah predicted that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, and that is exactly what happened. Judah sold him out. For 30 pieces of silver. 
The Bible predicted that Jesus would be spit on and struck by the hands of men. And we know from the New Testament that he was beaten beyond recognition. They put a sack over his head, a bag over his head, and struck him, mocking him, saying, tell us who did that, oh, big prophet, hot shot. Who was it that just hit you? Mocking him. And it happened just like the prophet said. Psalms 22 said he would be crucified with other prisoners when there was no crucifixion. The Bible predicted in Psalms 22 that he would be pierced in his hands and his feet when there was no such thing, no way to execute capital punishment in David's day. Yet in Psalms 22, he saw by the Spirit of God moving on him, the Messiah being pierced in his hands and his feet. And he wrote it down. Centuries later, the Messiah died that way. He said he'll also be pierced through his side. And you remember, they, they wanted to be sure that Jesus was dead. So almost as an afterthought, the soldier strode up to Jesus and thrust the spear into his side and out came blood and water. My Lord suffered for you and me. The Bible predicted that soldiers would gamble for his clothing. And we know they took that one-piece garment that Jesus had and they cast lots for it. And one of them took it home. The Bible predicted that he'd be buried in a rich man's tomb. And we know that a man named Joseph of Arimathea took him down and took him into his own, took him to his own tomb he had, he had bought for himself and put Jesus in it. He just didn't decide to stay long. But he was there three days and nights. Joseph got to use it after all. And the Bible predicted he'd be resurrected from the dead. And that's why I say that Christmas walks on the legs of two miracles. A virgin's womb and an empty tomb. It's two miracles upon which the foundation of Christianity rests. Virgin's womb, empty tomb. Now, did you know that the odds of somebody who was not the Messiah fulfilling all of those prophecies are too great to even imagine. But one mathematician tried, and he suggested that we could imagine the state of Texas buried in silver coins two feet deep. And then you mark one. Now think about how many coins that would be, billions and billions and billions upon billions of silver coins. And you mark one of them with a mark, and you throw it in among all the other silver coins. Then you get a blind man and say, go find it. The odds of him finding it, we would be here for millions of years waiting for it to happen. He would never find the correct one. It's not going to happen. This mathematician decided that it would be, the chances would be one followed by 17 zeros. One to the 17th power. In other words, it's not going to happen. But these are the odds of Jesus Christ fulfilling not 400 of the prophecies, but only eight of them. Only eight of them. And he formed them and fulfilled them exactly, precisely. And so now in our opening text, keeping Micah 5.2 in mind, we find Joseph and Mary in the wrong place at the wrong time for Micah's prophecy to be fulfilled. Because in Mary's ninth month, when she's days away from delivering the Christ child, just days away, she's in Nazareth, she's in Galilee, and she's not in Bethlehem, not in Judah. She's 80 miles away from where she's supposed to be. And we'll tell you, when God says something is going to happen, it's going to happen precisely like God said. Now, I assure you, they were not sitting around with a copy of the Old Testament, reading Micah 5, verse 2, and Joseph saying to Mary, gosh, dear, we better hook them to Bethlehem. 
because you're about to give birth and the prophet said it has to be Bethlehem. No, no, no. They were just looking forward to the birth of their new baby boy and they were thrilled with it. They were not thinking about fulfilling prophecy. God had to take care of it. And here's what gets me. The story of how God took care of it is one of the great examples of providence. And I believe in providence. Now, when I say providence, what do I mean by that? It means that God is in charge of all things. He has history by the tail. As a matter of fact, history is his story. He didn't do the evil in history. He was not the instigator of the evil in history. But history is rapidly racing towards the final culmination of what God has decreed. God is in charge, not the devil, not fleshly men, not evil men, not circumstances, not fate. God is in charge. Now, what I noticed with Joseph and Mary is she's in the wrong place at the wrong time. She's got to get to Bethlehem. So God used a natural event to bring about a supernatural purpose. And he does that with you and me all the time. Listen to what the Bible says about you and me. The steps of a good person are ordered by the Lord. Ordered by the Lord. Now, you may not be good in and of yourself, but you have been declared righteous by God. You're God's child. So we could put it this way. Since that was a psalm, we could bring it in the New Testament and say, the steps of the child of God are ordered by the Lord. And he delights in his way. And though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down because the Lord upholds him with his hand. So God has you and I in the hollow of his hand and his providence is ordering our steps. Most of the time, we don't even know it. He shapes circumstances. He brings divine encounters. He is, he, as, when we surrender to him, as we surrender to him, he orders our steps so that every day, ought to be an adventure. What's God going to do with me today? Who's going to come into my life today? Who am I going to meet today? What's going to happen today? Because God is moving in my life. Well, he used a natural event to bring about a supernatural purpose. He moved on the heart of a king. The Bible says in Proverbs 21, 1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wants it to go. Well, the heart of Caesar Augustus was in the hands of God. And one day Caesar woke up and said, you know what? I'm going to tax the whole world. I need everybody to register. So he released a decree thinking it was his idea. And so one day here's Joseph and Mary and any day now, here comes the baby. And they received word of an edict. It came down from on high from Caesar himself. You're going to have to register for taxation purposes. And the decree was that you had to register in your city of origin. Well, it just so turned out that Joseph's city of origin, he being of the house and lineage of David, was Bethlehem. Imagine that. So he turns to Mary and he says, Dear, I know you're about to give birth. I'm going to have to put you on a donkey. This was not a Cadillac Escalade trip. This was a donkey, but we've got to obey Caesar. He said, do it now. We've got to register. I know that it could happen anytime. We're going to have to pray between here and there that you don't give birth on the way. We've got to go to Bethlehem and we've got to register. So Mary, get ready. Here we go. And they packed up, they loaded up, they got a good mule, the best mule they could find. And this little teenage girl, nine months pregnant, ready to give birth anytime, sits on the donkey and off they go. Not only 
did they have to traverse 80 miles, but they had to go through Samaritan Gentile enemy territory to do it. So not only was it a laborious trip, but it was also a dangerous trip. This was something that they had to give themselves to God every hour of every day. And don't you know they were saying, oh Lord, please don't let it happen on the way. Please help us to get to Bethlehem before we give birth because we don't want to have to give birth on the side of the road. It would have normally taken about four days for a strong man to go 80 miles. But with Mary almost ready to give birth and they wanting to avoid the danger of miscarriage, it probably took about a week. So you ladies with me, imagine. Imagine that you are nine months pregnant and any day now you're going to give birth to a child and your husband's got to put you on a donkey. And you knew, you know that just nine months ago, an angel visited you and said, this is going to be the Christ child. Don't you know you're looking up and going, so this is how you take care of the Christ child? I'm going to go bouncing and bumping all the way to Bethlehem on this donkey? What an incredible woman of faith this Mary was. A little teenager filled with faith. Now, there's a picture here. And I want to draw a picture. I'm going to, I'm going to just do a little metaphor here because there's, there's a lesson for you and I in our spiritual walk with God. So let me apply this to you and me because that's what the Bible does. It reaches out and it speaks to you in your day, in your moment, in your troubles, and it carries you. First, let me point out that Mary was pregnant with God's purpose for her. The Christ child was God's purpose. He looked through the whole land of Israel and he chose her. And he appeared to her and he spoke to her and his purpose for her was to have the high unprecedented honor of carrying the Christ child, God in her womb. That's powerful stuff. That's a miracle. That's a miracle of Christmas. So she was pregnant with God's purpose for her. She was expecting God's purpose to be born, to materialize, to become a reality any day. And can I tell you, church, that as God's children, we all are pregnant with a purpose. See, this reaches out of Mary and it comes down to you and me. Now, Mary was carrying around the Christ child physically. But do you know that God's purpose for you and to me and for me is for us to have Christ formed in us. Can I tell you what God's purpose for you is? It's not that you be rich. It's not that you get the best parking spot at the mall. It is not that so many things that we associate with God's purpose. Can I tell you what God's highest purpose is for you and me? It's Romans eight twenty nine. for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed. That's talking about you, that you would be conformed to what? To the image of his son. You know, one of the great miracles of when you have a child, you have a baby and, and, and even when it's first born, people come up and they'll say, oh, it looks just like you. And you get to see a little you running around. For some of you, that's, that's not a great thought. But for some of us, we really like that. You got a little you running around. Now, do you know that it's God's will that when you were born again, you were born not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the very word of God and the will of God. And when you got born again, you became his child. And you know what people, what God wants people saying when they meet you, you look just like 
I'm going to wake you all up here in a minute. You look just like daddy. You look just like your father. That's the will of God. See, here's Mary. She's carrying around the Christ child. She's going to give birth to the Christ child. But here comes Paul saying, when you got born again, there was a supernatural conception that happened in you. Just like a supernatural conception happened in her. But hers was physical. Yours is spiritual. And that supernatural conception birthed in you the beginnings of the character and the likeness of the Son of God. And God's highest will for you and me is that we would look like, talk like, think like, pray like, walk like, love like, Daddy, Jesus. Listen to what... Paul said, he said, he, he talks to the church in Galatians and he says, I got to tell you what my burden is, church. Here, here's my burden. My little children, he says to them, for whom I labor in birth. He's talking about prayer. I'm laboring in birth. Now, now notice, he says, I'm giving birth. I'm giving birth. I, I am in birth pangs. He, and, and what is he wanting to give birth to? Until Christ is formed in you. Paul says, says, I'm pregnant. He says, I got a vision. My purpose is to birth you until you are like Jesus, until you love like him, until you have joy like him. You know, in other words, what does it look like when Jesus is formed in you and me? I can give it to you easily. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, faith. Against such there is no law. That's what Jesus looks like. God wants us to remind people of him. Well, you look just like Jesus. You're reminding me of Jesus. I've read about Jesus and you're acting just like him. You're forgiving like him. You're loving like him. You've got patience like him. You're not losing your temper. You're walking in grace. You're filled with love. You're filled with joy. You're starting to remind me of the one that I read about in the Bible. And God says, that's exactly what I've called you to do. For you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a called out people. So that you would show forth, reveal, expose the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's the purpose of God. So my little children, for whom I labor and birth again until Christ is formed in you, so here's the parallel. Mary, the Christ child, is being formed in her. In you and me, every single day, Christ is being formed in us. We ought to be able to look back a year ago and say, you know what, I'm walking in more love now than I was a year ago. I got more joy now than I did a year ago. I'm not moved by circumstances as badly as I was a year ago. I'm steadier. I'm stronger. I've got a closer walk. My prayer life is good. My devotional time is good. I've got more patience in rush hour traffic. I got more patience with the kids. I'm growing spiritually, I can tell. And you know that that's the will of God for you. So like Mary, we are essentially pregnant with a purpose. And that initial purpose, God is going to make everything that happens to us serve that purpose. Romans 8, 28. For we know that God works all things together for the good. What is the good? Christ formed in you. For the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. What is his purpose? Christ formed in you more and more every day and week and month and year until finally we reach the fullness of the stature of Christ. 
I want people to walk into this church and go, oh, look at all these people that remind me of him. I don't feel judged. I don't feel that it's snooty. I don't feel that they're religious. I don't feel that they're sizing me up to see if I'm like them. If I'm not like them, I don't fit. They love me with my purple hair, my green hair, all the earrings and all the hooks and all the different things that are hanging off of me. They love me anyway. Just like Jesus did. He wants you to be like Jesus. Now, I know what you're thinking. Boy, then I'm flopping. Because I don't know that that's happening in my life. Oh, it's happening. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. It's happening. He's, he's shaping you. He's forming you. And you may not be able to see it, but he can see it. So we're pregnant with a purpose. We're pregnant with a vision. And everything else in our life flows from that. All ministry. I was telling the first service, how can I lead you if I'm not growing? Because I can't take you where I haven't been. And I can't give you what I don't have. So I seek God every single day so that I can grow spiritually, so that I can carry all of us together into spiritual growth. Listen, God can't use somebody stagnated. So before Mary could give birth to her purpose, she had to be in the right place at the right time. To give birth to her purpose, she had to be in the right place. Let me tell you, church, you can't give birth to God's purpose for you when you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. And there's a lot of believers that are kind of carnal, and I'm not condemning, I'm just telling you, they're kind of carnal, and they get saved, they get their ticket to heaven, and then they just think, well, that's it. And they don't realize that God has a purpose and a plan and a destiny and a call, and they never focus on that. But if you don't give birth to God's purpose for you, then you have missed what life is all about. I don't care if you make a billion dollars. I don't care if you become famous. You're still going to die one day. And when you die, you're going to have to face your maker. And your maker's going to say, what'd you do with my purpose? What'd you do with the beginnings of my son in your life? Did he grow into maturity in you? Or did, was it short-circuited by you being worldly and carnal? No condemnation. I'm just telling you that this thing about walking with God, we get one shot. We're not coming back as a grasshopper or a cricket or a cow. This is it. And we are to grow in him. So she had to be in the right place at the right time. She had to get in the center of God's will for her life to give birth to her purpose. So in order to get Joseph and Mary into the right place, God allowed them to be taxed. Now, taxation is never a good experience. I don't like being taxed. If you like being taxed, I really want to meet you afterwards. And I want you to lay hands on me because I'd love that anointing. I don't like it. Nobody likes to be taxed, but you know what? That word taxed can mean more than giving the government money. It means to be strained or pressured to experience stress. Like we might say if somebody working in the hot sun was taxing, it taxed my energy, taxed my strength. So to take our little metaphor a step further, I want to point out that our dreams and purposes in God are never born without our being taxed, pressured, some stress. I told you, what's a testimony? It's when you've had a test and done some moaning. If you don't get tested and have some moaning, you have no testimony. If you've got a testimony, I guarantee you, you got tested and you did some moaning. Oh, God, help me. 
and God carries you through and you saw the power of God, the word of God work. He carries you through. Now you've got a testimony. Hey, he set me free. He can set you free. He helped me. He can help you. He gave me peace in the storm. He can give you peace in the storm. You've got a testimony. It took the experience of Joseph and Mary being taxed to move Mary where she was to where she needed to be. So God used pressure. Now, let me get right down to where we live. A lot of times we misinterpret pressure. And I'm not saying all pressure is ordered of God, but some pressure is. God will allow his children to be pressured so that we will get out of where we are to where we need to be. Have you ever noticed you pray better when you're in a trial? You seek God more when you don't have a job? You go through, listen, you get way more spiritual when times are tough. Have you ever noticed how, how you drift when everything is going great and you don't really need God? So God allows pressure. Now, interestingly, the place where Mary was was Galilee, and Galilee means circuit. And a circuit is a route or a path that follows a curved course and finishes at the same point at which it began. In other words, if you're in a circuit, you're going around in circles. You're going around in circles. You ever get lost in a cul-de-sac? You're out looking at Christmas lights or something, and, and you're going around, and you go, oh, isn't that now? Oh, oh, oh. And then you go, wait a minute. We were at this house a minute ago. You know what happens to us spiritually as well? We see the same mountain over and over again, the same trials over and over again. We wind up at the same place over and over again. We're stuck in a rut. We're in a circuit. We're not getting anywhere. We're not growing spiritually like the wilderness wanderers who always ended up going around the same old mountain, never closer to the promised land. They went around the same mountains for 40 years when a direct route to the promised land would have taken two weeks. That makes me cry every time I say it. Lord, don't let that happen to me. They were 40 years. Take another lap around Mount Zion while you learn your lesson. Around and around. But if they had just obeyed and trusted God, they would have gone from the sea to the promised land in two weeks. But the first generation didn't even make it at all. They didn't trust God. Now, God wants us out of the place in our life where we're going around in circles. He wants us out of there. He wants us out of Galilee, so to speak. And where did they need to go? Bethlehem. Where was Bethlehem? It was in Judah. What does Judah mean? It means praise. God wanted them out of the place of going around in circles to the place of praise. Can I just brag for a minute on the power of praise? Did you know that one of the greatest weapons you've got is the weapon of praise? Some of you are under attack in your home. Your marriage is under attack. Your finances are under attack. You know what we need to do sometimes? Stand in the middle of our living room. We need to pull our head back, get our arms up in the air, forget about being religious or masculine or macho, and just let some praise go. Start praising God. So well, praise him for what, Pastor? Praise him that he's God. Start right there. Praise him that you're saved. You can start right there. Just start praising God. Just let loose with some praise. Don't worry about the neighbors. Don't worry about your family members. They might have been waiting for a long time for you to break forth in some praise. And start praising God because praise is the language of faith. 
Because faith says it's not here yet, but it's coming. You don't see it yet, but it's on the way. And so praise says, I'm going to lift up my voice and I'm going to praise God, not for what's here, but for what I know is going to be here. And until it's here, I'm going to praise the Lord. And when you praise the Lord... When you praise the Lord, you cancel satanic assignments. When you praise the Lord, you muzzle the devil's mouth. When you praise the Lord, you shackle the demon's hands. When you praise the Lord, you release the anointing of God into your house. When you praise the Lord. Sometimes we got to wake up and realize who we are. I've already quoted it, but let me quote it again. You are not just anybody, but you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. And what do priests do? They offer praises to God. A holy nation and a called out people. Why? That you would show forth the what? praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're not in the dark. You're in the light. You're not dead. You're alive. You're not blind. You see. So praise God. Praise God. Just let it go because praise the language of faith and even the posture of praise is one of surrender. And so not only is praise the language of faith, It's the mark of surrender. Show me a person who has never surrendered their life to God, and I'll show you somebody that can't praise him. Because praise comes out of the sacrifice of surrender. And so surrender, what does surrender look like? Just like this. I surrender all. You know, some of you men, sometimes I want to go out there and grab some of you men and pull your hands up in the air for you. You say, well, pastor, I've just never done that. Well, learn to do it. It's like putting antenna up. You're going to start getting signals from heaven. (laughs) I'm serious. And I understand, man, because when I first saw guys praising the Lord, I thought it was strange looking. And I did half mass for about six months, just like this. And I was always looking. Is anybody looking? Anybody looking? Because I was macho man, macho man. I'm not going to raise my hands like some woman. But then... But then, one day I saw these men, these manly men, manly men lifting up their hands and praising God. And I said, oh, well, if they can do it, I'll do it. As long as I'm among them and I'm not alone and nobody's going to spot me, I'll do it. I got my hands up and they haven't come down since. I like it up there. I like it up there because it's surrender. It is surrender. You say, well, I don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. You get to do that. You get to do that. One of these days, we're going to have a, we're just going to have a worship service. And we're, and we're not leaving until some of you men get your hands up in the air. We're, we're going to lock the doors. We're going to shut you in. I hear some of you going, well, Martha, we ain't coming back here. But here's what Martha is saying. Yes, pastor, come on, preach it. Jesus raised his hands. Paul said, lifting up holy hands, you men, without wrath and doubting. That's another message. Peter said, the place of praise is where she had to be to give birth to her purpose. The place of praise. 
Beloved, don't think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Notice, he's saying, I want you to rejoice in the middle of fire. And we first have the taxing in this verse called fiery trials. And in the middle of the fiery trials, we got somebody rejoicing. And in the middle of that rejoicing, his glory is revealed. The taxing experience of fiery trials leads us to the place of praise and glory. Paul wrote, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. A lot of you ladies, you have pearls. You have a string of pearls or a pearl bracelet. You take one of those beautiful pearls. It's the result of an oyster being in tribulation. A little grain of sand gets in there, and it begins to irritate that oyster. And the oyster will eventually secrete a substance that surrounds the sand. What he's hoping for is that it gets rid of the irritation, but the irritation only grows because the more he secretes around that sand the more it grows until finally you've got this beautiful jewel, a pearl. You wouldn't have the pearl if that oyster had not been in a trial. He secretes some chemical. When we're in a trial, we secrete faith. We secrete trust. We secrete endurance. Listen, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, sand, for we know that they help us develop endurance, pearl. And endurance develops strength of character, bigger pearl. And character strengthens our confident hope, fully formed pearl. And this hope will never lead us to disappointment, for we know that God dearly loves us and has given us his Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So when you and I, like Mary, was taxed out of Galilee, out of the place of going in circles, out of a circuitous route, and she was moved to the place of praise. If we respond to God's grace, then taxation will move us from the place of going around in circles where no growth is taking place to the place of praise where our dreams are born. Mark it down. God's dreams are not born in the place of compromise or in the place of murmuring and complaining. Children of Israel can tell you that. Nor are they born in the place of spiritual lukewarm mediocrity. Jesus said, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but not lukewarm. They are born in the place. God's purposes are birthed in the place of red-hot, sold-out, surrendered praise resulting from victory in a trial. The journey of Joseph and Mary across 80 miles of rugged terrain encumbered by a nine-month pregnancy amongst dangerous people on the back of a donkey was difficult and laborious, hard, unexpected, unanticipated. But when they arrived in Bethlehem, Judah, the place of praise, they were in the right place at the right time for their purpose to be born. And I can just picture Micah looking down and going, yes. And I mean, they weren't there. They had hardly darkened the door of Bethlehem when she went into labor. 
the hotel keeper answered the door. We need a room. Quick, quick, quick. Give us a room. My wife's about to give birth. I'm sorry. We don't have anything. In Mary's mind, what? I'm carrying the Christ child and you can't even give us a hotel room? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can't do it. We're full. No vacancy. They go around back. I can picture Joseph grabbing a blanket that they've been sleeping on for a week, throwing it on the ground, saying, lay down, dear. It's you and me and God. No medicine, no doctor, no midwife, no nothing. No nurse. I believe every angel in God's creation was peering down on this scene. And the cry of the Christ child split the night. Right about that time, God sends angels to some shepherds over in a field and says, tell them the Messiah has been born. Way far away in the east, some wise men, some astronomers are looking at the sky and they see a strange star that intrigues them and they become starstruck. And they said, we've got to pack up our stuff and go see what this is. That's never been there before. And they began to travel. They didn't get to Jesus until he was two years old. They traveled all the way from the far east. But Jesus was born. And I want you to look at how providence fulfilled God's purpose. And God's going to see to it that your purpose is born. Can we stand together? I want to pray over many of you, and we're going to pray together right now. This is Christmas time, and you know what Christmas is all about to me? Not just Jesus being born in history, but Jesus being born in you and in me and us growing into the likeness of Christ. And I want us to bow for a moment of prayer. And I want to talk to you just for a second. If you can say, Pastor Jeff, you know, I've kind of been in that place of going around in circles. I've kind of just gotten lukewarm, gotten out there, gotten distracted, gotten busy. Maybe, not necessarily, but maybe some sin has gotten into your life. And I assure you, Satan is doing everything he can to keep you out of Bethlehem, to keep you out of the place of praise, to keep you out of the center of his will. And I want to pray that all of us enter the place of praise and that we all give birth to our purpose in 2013. So with your heads bowed, I want you to think for a second. Am I where Mary was, Galilee, going around in circles? Or am I in the place of praise, giving birth to my purpose? And if you're in that circuitous route, going around in circles, I've been there. I know exactly what it's like. It's so unfulfilling. It's so hectic. It's, there's no peace. It's a waste of time. And I want to tell you, you can come out today and make your journey to the place of praise. And maybe you've never had the miracle of the Christ child being born in you by being born again. You can do that today. It's as close to you as a prayer. You may be young, old, in between. Listen, young man, young lady, you can be born again today.
dear sir, dear lady who's on in years, it's not too late for you. You can be born again today. It can happen right now. You can drive away having had the Christ birthed in you by being born again. So I'm going to ask, our heads are bowed. You can say, Pastor, I'm in one of those two categories, and I will let you pray with me. I don't want to leave this building until I'm headed for my purpose, to the place of praise. I want to see your hand. I'm in one of those two categories, and I'm not ashamed to say it. Don't be, because, Lord, we've all been there, and who cares what people think? It matters what he thinks. So can you raise your hand and say, Pastor, but more than me, God, I want to go to Bethlehem. I need to get to the place of praise. Anything standing in my way, I want to give it up to you today, and I want to get to the place of praise. Raise your hand. I see you, many of you. I'm going to ask you to do something. See, faith requires an action. And I'm going to ask you, if your hand is raised, I want you to slip out and come down here today. Just slip out and come. Tell your feet to start walking. The minute you take one step, then that's a step of faith. And God's going to undertake. And he's going to begin your journey right now to that place of praise, to Bethlehem. He's going to get you there. So as we sing, I want you to come from everywhere, female, male, old, young, it doesn't matter. You come, and we're going to pray for you today. And God's going to do a miracle in Jesus' name. And we're going to try.